Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. You've seen Bob Saget's friendly face on TV for four decades now, ever since the late 1980s when he starred in the ABC sitcom Full House, as well as hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. More recently, he has provided the narrator's voice for the CBS hit How I Met Your Mother, performed on Broadway, written a memoir, and recorded a Grammy-nominated comedy album, That's What I'm Talking About. He just released his latest comedy special, Zero to Sixty, and now that he's 61, he's got even more to talk about now. So let's get to it! Great to have you in the studio. I am beyond happy. I, I'm just turning off my phone because I don't want it to to do one of those dumb little rings. You might get a Twitter Twitter notification, right? Of, I don't have that nuclear thing. apocalypse. No, I never do that. Yeah, we would know. <laughs> he was like, "I'm on the toilet. I had a Big Mac. I hit I hit the button." Whoops! But what he didn't realize was he just got a new toilet. Oh, so he actually thinks that the button he's hitting is the button, but it's not. It's a toilet. It just happens to be red. It does. It's red. <laughs> And it, uh, you know, it's uh, it. Rocket Man uses one, so uh, that's how I think they're playing nuclear war. I think they think that's nuclear war. <laughs> I think the two of them should just play Battleship together. And to think, when I was a kid, War Games was the most was the scariest. That was popular. Thing. Battleship was actually a uh, pretty, you know, it was war. Well, as a game, but, but the movie scared the bejesus. Yeah, it did. The fact it that Matthew Roderick. Playing with a computer could start global thermonuclear war. Well, if he can ruin the car and uh, and have trouble getting to school, he can definitely do that. <laughs> did, did you go up for that role? For the Ferris Bueller, yeah, I was. Because <laughs> uh, you were you were already starting in comedy. I had not in 1982. Had, I didn't have an acting career. I, okay. I had just started to, while that movie was uh, being shot. I was in acting school. Oh. So okay. while he was younger and learning to act and be the amazing actor that he is, I was uh, doing five years of uh, teaching myself with the help of a good teacher named Daryl Hickman, how to act. Because so, I thought I just wanted to direct, mm -hmm. just, uh, just porn. And, um, well, before, before we get into your illustrious career, last things first, I want to congratulate you on your upcoming nuptials. Thank you. I have, uh, I have, I have nuptials. <laughs> I have two of them. I'm very excited about them. I you keep have, them warm in the winter. You have a bride-to-be? I you do. Have, she's, uh, in the she's in the town. You have a, she's a, in this a city. fiance. I have a fiance. Say, say, which is better than betrothed, because yeah. betrothed sounds like a horse, but it's betrothed. So uh, because of the atmosphere we're in, I want to give you a chance. Is there anything she does not know about you that you need to admit to? That's interesting. I'm going to let her read it. <laughs> I'm going to wait till it just comes out. She did ask me, and I said, probably, I did a book, Dirty Daddy, and right. in the book, I, there's a chapter, Things I Shouldn't Have Done mm -hmm. and Relationships I'd Rather Not Talk About. And so that kind of says it right there in general terms without mentioning names. Even in my new special, Zero to Sixty, not that I ever say that out loud, right. the title of my new special, um, I talk about... <laughs> it's uh, available everywhere. It is available in places that are... It's such a long list. <laughs> but Amazon, iTunes, Google Play is kind of what they're saying. But right. uh, it's literally in every on-demand service in the world that gets it, which is... Uh, it's like 100 places. So but you do have a... You do have a uh, you do make a, a revelation confession of sorts. I do in it. That's, that's in the special. Thank you. thank you. 
I, I do. Although it, although it turns out, spoiler alert, it turns out not as bad as people might think it's going to be. No, they think I'm the guy that did something wrong. Right. And uh, I'm the kind of person, and I'll just, I'm going I'm to really spoiler alert. <laughs> Rather than give someone a roofie my whole life, mm-hmm. I would take it myself and just knock myself out so I didn't have to be part of it. Because I was raised by a dad that treated women with dignity because my mother insisted on it. And I think that was very healthy. And uh, and it and I have three daughters, and I have a fiance. Finally, that is a, a good one. Uh, not it only took you another twenty years to find one. Twenty years, yeah, yeah. I would have girlfriends for mm-hmm. nice ones. A couple of them were nice. A couple of them I had to put down. But uh, <laughs> see, that's the kind of joke that people would take out of context. Right. And they was I had to put down. Oh my God, how'd you do it? You know, did you go into their office where they're plants? You know, uh, but I have to joke about it a little bit. But I don't joke about it. Right. I do it subversively. I don't want to. Uh, there's a there's a in the special there's a Cosby reference right. uh, and it's simply about how to treat women. I'm making fun of it. Whereas in 2007 when I did that ain't right, everything had a misogynistic kind of. You can't do those. That's over. That's all over. You know, pedophilic jokes within reason are mm-hmm. over. Uh, as now long that's as, just for senators. <laughs> that was my first joke. You know everything about me. <laughs> what do you, well, you know? You know that from is, a joke. Is, that I did? As long as we're talking, do you, do you know? That I watched. I watched the special. Yeah. But did you know that joke that I did when I started, or did you just do a psychic thing? Uh, yes. Psychic. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let me tell you. My first joke. Mm-hmm. What fifth joke? I was seventeen years old. Oh. There was a senator mm-hmm. who had uh, done stuff with a young boy, not unlike what we're going through today. Um, and the boy came out and talked about it. And the kid was like 14 or something. And my joke was this. And it was I was 17 or 18 when I wrote the joke. Uh, my mother never let me go to camp because she thought I'd get embarrassed and dressing in front of little boys. But I've changed a lot because I kind of like it now. That's not true. I like it a lot. That's not true. I'm not a senator. <laughs> and that was the punchline. So it was a three-parter. Right. And, it, and you I, – I don't know how you did that. So we are obviously linked uh, symbolically, sim- symbiotically. Was that, was that always kind of your preferred style is to have jokes that have multiple tags to them? Yes. And, 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 and also things that would just riff. And then I would have jokes, but then – and they would be real jokes – and then people wouldn't believe they were jokes. They would think I was just talking stream of consciousness. That's what I remember even when you first started on America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, and that was scripted. I was reading prompter, but I would But go, it felt I, like you were just... Well, that's a giant compliment. I was going off of prompter quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it was really written. It was written by myself and Todd Thicke, uh, Alan Thicke's brother, late Alan Thicke, and uh, Robert Arnott. Uh, we wrote the two Canadians. Okay. That's all I... I always have the jokes were 18% less funny. But it's impossible to do a clip show. And you'll never hear. And the winner is, you know, although Tom Bergeron won because they opened up a reality show category. Yeah. But we weren't in one because we were the first one. <laughs> we were yeah, like, they didn't know what to do. You want to see people get hit in the nads? <laughs> come to Bob. You got to go through. You had your own I had genre. A, I had a niche. <laughs> But uh, pre YouTube, got kicked right between the niches. Yeah, but yeah, way pre YouTube, pre everything. I mean, I barely had a phone with a curly cord on it. <laughs> but it was it was really cool because you know at first I was cynical and like, oh, don't do a family show. And mm-hmm. but I wanted that job. I wanted to be on Full House. I was producers of Happy Days, and I knew Jeff Franklin from Laverne and Shirley, and I was the warm up on Bosom Buddies. So I'd been around all these people. But that that year, you actually started out in morning television with the well, later, CBS. Later, this is eight years later of all the struggling of doing warm ups right. and going on the road and struggling and being a guitar act 
And now I just do music that's funny because I want to do it. Right. I, I don't do it because I had no stand-up. <laughs> I mean, I could get out. I, I've been doing 90-minute shows. I've just been loving doing it. I need it. Mm. I need it. And they need it because they want to enjoy themselves. Well, you you play the guitar at the end of Zero to Sixty. Yeah. and Four, four whole songs. That's like 20 minutes because they're short songs. Yeah. But it. I went back to my previous interviews, pre-podcasting interviews with you, and I recall that you had told me that you got to play the guitar at Carnegie Hall. I did. When you were a youngster. I was 23, and uh, my managers got me that gig. My my best friend who passed away this year, Brad Gray. You were, weren't you his first client? I was. And also Harvey Weinstein got me the gig because Brad worked for Harvey, who was a rock promoter. In Buffalo. In Buffalo. And... Uh, and I and it's just bizarre how life changes on some people. It's just insane. And they got me this gig opening for Gina Vanelli at uh, Carnegie Hall. I just want I just want to stop. stop. And he did. And, and and it was the best room I ever played because mm-hmm. you don't even need a mic. I mean, it just is the way it's made. And uh, I called my parents. I'm at Carnegie Hall, and they were like, "That's nice." <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, "How do you get there?" Practice, you know. Now it's not a big del- deal down in Philadelphia? They don't no, care about but I won a radio contest at 17. That was a big deal for my family. And What uh, was the contest? Uh, doing uh, It was WMMR Radio, okay. a popular, I guess, alternative in Philly Station. And I won $500 and a chance to play there, opening for somebody. But then Steven Starr, the restaurateur, wonderful friend of mine who owns Marimoto and Budokan okay. here in Philly also as well, had a club called Stars, and I used to open for Frank Stallone and Valentine and Richard Belzer and Rich Hall, and uh, I was just getting started. And then I was 18, 19, I was at University of Pennsylvania doing improv, but going to Temple University, going to film school. So I always did five things, none of them well, but I did five of them. And I just kept trying to learn as much as I could about – I worked on the Mike Douglas show as an intern. Not Michael Douglas, not the one who had that problem with his throat. So what? With, what because of his wife, what apparently. Did, what did? Uh, not to bring it up, I'm sure Mike he's Douglas, thrilled. Mike Douglas, the poor man's Merv Griffin. That's what he was, and Merv Griffin, I was on 13 times the show, and um, and Mike <laughs> that's Douglas. An, that's an important note. <laughs> Mike Douglas was on the road with Kay Kaiser, which is a band that no millennial will know. No, but he not, used to sing. Even Generation X, I'm I'm at a loss. Oh yeah, there's nothing. I don't even think it's in any uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> What's that game we used to play? Uh, you'd guess celebrity stuff. Um, uh, it was a game you pulled a card and everybody would everybody played it. It was so popular. <laughs> Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit. Thank you. Yeah, you were scared to say it, but it was, <laughs> yeah, that, that, it was. I don't remember because I hate games. Okay, I'm not crazy about them. Right. But Mike Douglas used to sing a song, "The Man in My Little Girl's Life." Did he the sing man that every show? In my little girl's life. I no, feel but like it was he sang only, a lot. I think it's the only hit. He sang every show. Yeah. But he never had a hit. Okay. And they would film it and they would do dissolves in between it, mm-hmm. just like old school television. And I remember the lyric, Daddy, there's a boy outside. His name is Chuck, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and we don't want to go there. Did but, you share a stage on the Mike Douglas show with anyone crazy? Or? I never shared stage. At one time, I they planted me in the audience. Oh. He said, I was 18, he said, mm-hmm. does anybody do impressions? And I said, I do Bob Dylan. And I, I did the worst Bob Dylan that could possibly be done. I put a headband on and I played a tuning pitch uh, pipe. And so I would, uh, she looks just like a woman. All I remember is the end was she smells like a little dog. You know, it was just terrible, <laughs> terrible. 
And then the song I won the radio contest at WMMR was called Bondage. So I was 17. So, you know, this journey is not difficult to figure out. What did what did Brad Gray see in you? Um, we he just it was kind of an instant thing. He, he was 20. I was 21 or 22. Um, he was a runner at the time working for the rock promoting company. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to go into management. He had worked gone to a University of Buffalo and he brought Billy Joel in and started bringing in acts as the kids that are in charge of these event things right. do. And then he had me, he booked me for this thing. It was kind of like the Roxy in LA or kind of like the bottom line here. Um, and it was uh, called Stage One. And I saw Blondie there the night before and then I performed the night after. I was on the Comedy Store College Tour and I did a lot of parodies and I used to sing While well, My Guitar Gently Weeps, Turn a Valve and Water Poured Out of My Guitar. And I got electrocuted twice. So Jesus. it was not a smart move. The but comedy store had a college tour. It, uh, Mitzi put some people on it, so mm-hmm. it would make a little bit of money, and she did it with a gentleman who passed away, Murray Becker. A lot of good stories. It's beautiful. Happy stories. Happy times. And just nothing but nightmares. What was what <laughs> Cafeterias was, at noon. What was Harvey like as a Buffalo rock promoter? He was, uh, you know, just like every other rock promoter, and, and like a lot of producers, just a guy that got stuff done. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't know he would get stuff done all over people. <laughs> Uh, it's really not funny to make jokes about it. That's the right. problem because I get into a high-speed mode that gets me to kind of make humor out of it and make light of it, and there's nothing humorous or funny about it. It, it is a tragic time we're in. Um, it affects us all incredibly deeply, and I hate to say this, but it's about time people are being called out. And I have a couple friends that are being called out, and one of them, I won't say who because it's not as no noticeable, is incorrectly being called out. He's an innocent man, and mm-hmm. I, I hope someone apologizes soon. But 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 all the ones that everybody assumes did, from what my best knowledge is, that I think it, it's going to put a monitor on things. And I think we desperately need it, especially in this world where a bunch of people are walking around because they're powerful or because they're famous. Because fame is a bunch of crap, right. you know. It's just to be people's goal. If they want to be famous, they're a fool. Their their goal should be to do something good, make art, write something good, act well, um, build a good building, you know, uh, design good clothes. If you want to be famous, if you want to get wealthy and famous, but but to want to be famous means you don't know who you are, and you want everybody to know you and treat you like a royalty, which means you're nuts. So every fame, of, every fame I have is just because, I mean, I walk down the street and people are just nice. That I loved you on Entourage, you mm-hmm. know, Dirty Work's my favorite movie. When's your new stand-up? You know, and they know what's going on. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm their friend. Jack Nicholson once said, it's like being the mayor. He said, you know, it's just like being the mayor. You just walk, hi, Jack. And he goes, hey, how you doing? You it, know, you just act like you know people. Is that what you, you dreamed your adult life would be like when you were? No, I had, I had no clue. But what happened to me, uh, the reason I'm in a good place, besides the fact that I have a wonderful woman in my life, three amazing daughters, my mother passed away, that's great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually loved her a lot, and I talk about her in the special, which is kind of cool. Um, but um, as long as I plug the special, her death <laughs> meant something. Uh, this is called facetiousness and sarcasm, people. I am not uh, meaning this fully. <laughs> But I, I think what you want, and this has been told to me by people that are very well known, or that I met over the years, that I mm-hmm. looked up to, 
is you want to, if you're, especially if you're a comedian or an actor, Edward James almost actually told this to me. It's his theory. It was in my book, Dirty Daddy. I just plug every six seconds. Um, he it's said, good that you wrote this stuff down, though. I did. I do. And then I spout it out again because <laughs> it serves a purpose yeah, to no gets, one, unless they want to buy a book. It, yeah, it gets people to want to Or the to audio tape, seven hours of me talking. Who wouldn't want that after this? It's but relaxing. Edward, Listening to your voice is relaxing. It is because that's the story of how I met your mother. That's that's why they wanted me for nine years because I'm relaxing. I'm like taking relaxing. No, that's a drug for scleroderma. No. I'm really up with people right now. So and what, you do a lot of work for scleroderma. I do, and I always will. I lost my sister to this disease in 1994, and in 1996, I did a television movie called For Hope about it. I directed it, and uh, my friend Brad Gray produced it, and uh, I'm very, very proud of it. Um, then the Delaney started it, and my sister got this disease, and uh, nobody knew what it was, and she was misdiagnosed, and uh, it affects mostly women. Um, huge uh, African population all over the world, um, a lot of people in the prime of their lives, whether childbearing years or just healthy people, and some people we're losing their lives at a rapid rate and we've raised 45 million dollars that we have given directly to research that's great and uh it's so rewarding and i meet people and as if the disease has a face you can tell when people have the disease and i've lost many friends to it uh, in addition the founder passed away of course my sister a lot of people that i know are involved queen latifah's mother has it and Regina Hall's mom, and they're and they're talking about it. You know, they're they're not hiding. Otherwise, I wouldn't say their names. Um, but they're they're champions for for the work, and we fund Johns Hopkins and um, and and uh, UCSF and Stanford, and we have a benefit December fifth at Caroline's. And these are the people that this is the third time. I think Jeff Ross has done it seven times. So mm-hmm. Jeff's doing it again. December 5th at Caroline's. I think it's sold out or almost sold out. But the comedians, and that's why it's sold out, is not that I'm hosting because who cares. But but the comedians are, besides Jeff Ross helping me with the auction and being hilarious, will be Michael Che and George Lopez and John Oliver. And then Jackson Brown's going to sing. Very nice. So it's – and we always we do three benefits a year now. We do actually four places. We do Las Vegas, San Francisco – L.A., we just raised a million four with our benefit. That's great. And Jimmy Kimmel did the auction. It's just a name-dropping frenzy of comedians that care. The first year I saw you do it, Robin Williams. Robin did it seven times. Now, there's a guy that shouldn't be gone. And that's another uh, disease that affected him and uh, a flipping of medicines and other complications. And he was beautiful. He was just beautiful. What do we do do as people in the comedy community who have – influence or power or privilege what do we do to protect each other whether it's from mental illness or uh, or the devils the devils depression yeah what do we um hurting, hurting other people with just what you say because, because there's you not go through a negative time there's not a union for for comedians there's sag and there's there's a union in the real word of union there's an odd right. thing where we uh different groups of us support each other i pretty much support Everybody that's funny Um, or someone that's poignant or someone – I mean I love George Carlin. He was – in some ways he was prophetic in the way he did things. I mean he was kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you watch The Aristocrats, it's like don't tell this joke anywhere. (laughs) I was supposed to have lunch with him and it was scheduled before he passed away. So that was in my book. Don't schedule lunch with me. (laughs) But how do we – how do we – 
uh, band together, and it just happens. I mean, comedians are all outsiders, like a lot of people, like writers, like what you do. I mean, you're a comedian also, right? Uh, at heart. I don't perform anymore. You don't anymore. perform? I did when you I was younger. did. We talked about this. Yeah, but not since I've devoted full-time journalistically to right, it. Right, right. Uh, there's something that a comedian has, which is they have always been an outsider, so a lot of people can relate to that because whether they were the most popular bully in school, they were they did that for a reason, um, and they would get people to like them by banding together, and that was their band of brothers. Ours is, can you feel this injustice? Um, and... I am turning to my comedian friends for my news. I, I don't want the news. I'll, I'll watch certain people that I look up to, that a lot of us look up to. I won't watch the garbage people that are lying and they're all amped up and we know where they are. Right. And, and just rant and rant and, and they're lying and they're making stuff up. And it's they, a lot of hot air. Oh, it's terrible. And then fake news, you know, it's not completely wrong because the other news exists and even sometimes – when all this stuff happens, I mean, I did a benefit. I came into town uh, last night. I did a benefit f for Puerto Rican hurricane relief. My friend Aton Sugarman is this lovely guy who had a benefit. People were donating $50,000 a piece at the Hunt and Fish Club, and and they raised a lot of money. And it, it, it went to uh, – it was sponsored by a lot of Puerto Rican citizens um, that live here and – uh, their dual citizenship or whatever, but their their homeland is destroyed. Babies are dying and have died, and nothing was really done. So you figure three weeks later, four weeks later, five weeks later, oh, it's fine, that's past news, and people just forget. But they need it more now than ever because they couldn't get any of the stuff to them. Right, and the power's been out for so long that the whole infrastructure is melting. It, it's, a, it's, it's a destroyed island right now, and it needs so much money and so much help and it has not been getting the faux federal aid that was declared in insanity, in absolute ludicrous insanity or being, you know, shot out of a Nerf gun into right. people. We're, we're good about as, – as comedians, as people in comedy, we're good at, at speaking this truth to power. But, but how do we speak this truth to each other? That's, that's happening – I mean it's that's starting to happen the, this but, past week, but how do we – That's one of the blessings of the viral world. Um, you're able to – you can't get off of Twitter. You can, mm -hmm. but if you're going to be a comedian, you're going to have a problem. You ca you cannot read the news if you want. If you're going to talk about your kids or you're going to talk about life and just go, I can't do it. I mean mm -hmm. I sing a song called We Got to Be Kind to Each Other at the end of my special. And as I can't watch the news because every night I do, I don't know what, what's real or fake, but I know what love is and hate's a mistake. I mean you know, so it's serious. And what's happening is a lot of comedians – there's jokes in it too about my wiener, so that's fine. So don't worry. But, um, but the problem is uh, – or the solution is a lot of comedians are just incredibly serious right now. And they, they hate the injustice. People like Judd Apatow, Patton Oswalt, uh, Mark Maron, uh, Bill Burr uh, – well, not, not Bill quite as – well, yeah, Bill's pretty political. I mean a lot – but he also is just talking about the world in general. Mm -hmm. But I, I, comedians are family to me. Um, we don't have to see each other to love each other. Um, there's a certain respect that comes. And when I get to go out and promote this special, for mm -hmm. example, I get to say where I'm at right now as a person. So you ask and I get to answer. And I fall in the place of humanity and life and what the hell are we doing? And the people that 
won't even answer a question, need to be stopped. We need to change the way we're doing things. But people call that liberal or Democrat. And I don't even understand that. I don't understand conservative, liberal. I don't understand. That's how dumb I am. Republican, Democrat. We're all Mm -hmm. human beings. There's not that many ways to carve an apple here. You know, animals are being killed. Plants are being killed. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's killing a lot of plants. Got to throw it in. Sorry. <laughs> how do you how do you balance the different sides of your personality? Because yeah, there's it, at least three that I that I can see. I think see. there's five or six. <laughs> well, the the three main ones are there's the the uh, goofy TV dad, which I which he's not anymore. If you watch the show uh, Fuller House, mm-hmm. which I'm in at the end of December, I'm in two of the episodes. They're okay, the, they're the best. Um, but but it's it, he's a little more cynical, okay. a little bit of a caramel. But there's but there's that there's that there's that old version of that. There's the pop- that guy that guy died years ago. There's the pop- although the show lives on and on Forever. like you say. People um, from other, Mar- the people from Mars Attack. We'll watch it. <laughs> There's the Bob Saget you see in comedy clubs, which is completely different from Full House. More Bob theaters, Saget. I'd like to say. Uh, yeah, theaters. Just sounds sad. What a comedy. <laughs> the Music Hall of Williamsburg. And, That's hey, um, sounds nice. About the size of a comedy. Club. Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall sounds good from um, 40 years ago. But I, I just got off playing a couple but, of gigs. With, but there's the Bob Saget you see on stage no. performing stand-up, who's who's raunchy and unfiltered. But I'm not. As raunchy in the newer special, right. I don't think. But but for years there there was that kind yeah, of there really contrast. Was. Yes, between and the that two. was because of the family stuff. So you do ten years of something, and people think that's all you do. And now there's and there's this third one who does the scleroderma, who does the other fundraisers, who's who's talking to me right now, who's very compassionate and caring. Well, he's through all of them. I mean, the reason I was able to play Danny Tanner in Full mm-hmm. House is I went to Jeff Franklin and I said, I want to hug people a lot. I want to love my kids. So I was the Richie Cunningham of the show. I was the the truth moniker. I, I was right, just, you weren't I, the Fonz. No. No, that was you John. Were the Rich, you were the no, we just did a thing. Oh, I can't give it away. Oh. But John <laughs> was the Fonz, right. pretty much. And Dave was Ralph or Potsy or whatever. Yeah. However Probably you want to look at cool. Yeah, he was a combo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Ashley and Mary-Kate, I think, were Tom Bosley. They had the voice of reason. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We go to commercial. Uh, oh, I'm nuts. But um, I, there was compassion in all of it. Even mm-hmm. in, you know, I can't say entourage cameos because mm. that's a little foul. Aristocrats right. was about a family, so it was family <laughs> comedy. But, you know, um, in my stand-up, I get to be myself. And that's what I was going to say 12 minutes ago, which is a great edit point for you, <laughs> which is if you can get in here, I'm just, I don't shut up because no. I'm razzed uh, and excited about it. But... You know, people get a sense of who you are. And that's what Edward James almost said to me. He said, uh, once the people know who you are, then they come to see you. And then they want to see whether you're, whatever you're doing, whether you're acting or writing or something that means something to them because they trust you. And people now know. It's not like, are people surprised that you were on Full House 20 years ago? No, that was 20 years ago. And even on the new show, I don't act like that. So I'm 61. I was 30. Why do you look different? Because I'm 61 and I was 30. Was was that a deliberate choice to perform this special in Williamsburg where the audience is all people who are – Grew up with you as Full House? Well, it, all my audiences are. I mean, I, uh, every single one I've done, my audience is really between 18 and 45. You okay, know? And so then, you're not pulling your demographic so much. I'm pulling my uh, – no, that is my demographic because when they were 45, that means they were 15 when they watched Full House. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows the damn show all over the world and everybody sees it. And with the Netflix reboot, 
everybody sees it. Yes. I mean, I'm talking in other people. When I got engaged, it was like in German and <laughs> China and very popular. My my uh, my fiance is popular. I got to take her to France. She hasn't been to France, but. Uh, then she'll be so popular because she's a fiance. <laughs> yes, got to get her there before she's a bride. But but the that, truth the truth is, people, once people know you mm-hmm. and they understand that you're playing a character, and they're not lame enough to think that Danny Tanner is who a person is. That a guy on a sitcom, you know, that the robot girl on Small Wonder, that's her. You know, you got to realize that these are actors, and they're on a sitcom made for kids. Wait, where is the robot girl from? Small I don't Wonder? know, but someone wants her right now, <laughs> and they're a producer. And they should be arrested. But, um, uh, you know, they get it. And mm-hmm. when I do my stand-up, especially in this special, I think it's a little bit of a coming of age for me. I mean, literally. And and I, it happened accidentally to even do it. I was on a plane on a Thursday coming to New York to do some gigs and some TV. And Brian Volkweiss, the head of Comedy Dynamics, uh, emailed me and said, we have a spot on Tuesday. We have three comedians we're shooting during four different nights. One of them dropped out. Do you want to play? I said, where? He said, the Williamsburg Hall of Music. And I went, done. And But I need the set designer to go by my specs. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're you're an exec producer. You're completely involved. And they did everything honorably. Because they had done my last special. And I uh, that's what I'm talking about. And I got... Grammy uh, nominated. Grammy nominated. Kathy Griffin won. But I always say I like him. So <laughs> she likes that joke. I don't think so. But I, I do like Kathy. Anyway, um, but it was really... It just fell into place, and I've been rolling the set for like three years, trying to do new stuff. And there was sto- it was stories and some jokes, and and then my mom and other things, and had some stories with name dropping about famous people I know. And I went, wait a minute, what are you doing? How old are you? Are you going to go back now? And what's your next special? And I'm feeling with what's going on in the world that it's going to be a lot of serious stuff, like everybody's doing, and mm-hmm. then jokes to lighten it, and then back out of the jokes because it's a serious topic. That's where I feel I'm headed. And after people see the special, you do some of the stuff from it, maybe, but you really got to have a new hour is kind of what you need. But I have so many songs from so many, you know, so much performing over the years that that's different because you can do the music and their sing-alongs and I want them to participate. When I sing about what my dog did to me on an HBO special, the audience wants to sing. So I, I let them have their way. Do you, do you feel like a pioneer of sorts in the fact that You this, mean like an old man in a covered wagon? Yeah. The the fact that this special is just going out to everywhere. Instead yeah. of, it used to be, you know, you made a special for HBO, or you made a special for Comedy Central. And Netflix is the number one place to do made, them now. Right. But but your special is just going everywhere. It, it's it's an interesting thing. and I, It's I, not an exclusive to one no, Space. it's going everywhere. And it's feel... on demand and it's as explicit, yeah. even though it's just R-rated. But somebody said, it's so dirty because you mentioned getting a hemorrhoid and it freezes and then a squirrel comes over. And I'm Don't like, say what happens with the squirrel. I won't, but I will say this. I was watching The Simpsons for the Halloween episode mm-hmm. and Homer ate himself. He cannibalized himself. And that upset me. I love the show. It's The Simpsons, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. But that, to me, was more upsetting than my bit. <laughs> But because they're deified, uh, you know, and uh, and it was funny and clever. But I don't know. Self-cannibalism's up there with the squirrel, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But um, I'm, I'm really happy that it's going out the way it's going out. And, and they're... And they're promoting it very lovely. A couple, you know, some billboards, and it's going to be on buses and bus stops. And you know what happens at bus stops on the bench? Great stuff. 
Sleeping. It's sleeping people. It's great they're sitting on you. They're, they're sitting <laughs> yeah. on your head. But but then the other joke I used to have, which I've never done anywhere, I don't know why, is you know you're doing well when you're on a bus, but you also know you're doing not well when you're on a bus. Mm. So, although I took a cab with real people yesterday because – People it, still take cabs? And well, Uber uh, and Lyft I, and... I came into LaGuardia from mm-hmm. Toronto, so I didn't know that LaGuardia, you can't pull – a limo up to I don't know I don't even I don't take limos I couldn't take a town car mm-hmm. to get to my hotel and then a guy said if you pay this amount of money uh, you go with you you will get you a, a cab mm-hmm. and you'll cut the line and I went thank you I will do that and I wasn't shy about it I mm-hmm. just ran and felt bad but I ran and uh, I was with another couple and that's I was alone but I was with mm-hmm. a couple meaning I'm two people and and they were nice. I met people. I never meet people. And who who did you sit up front or did you get? I the sat hump? up front. Okay. They wanted me. The driver wanted me in the back, and I I just went. I got calls to make, but I was tweeting and stuff and mm-hmm. uh, Instagramming because my special is being multi-platformed. Yes. Uh, and this young couple, the guy uh, was so nice. He's his favorite movie is Dirty Work, which I directed. And That's I'm like, convenient. Uh, it was unbelievably convenient. Or it's it, one of those God moments. At it, was, it was. It was. It was synchronicitous, meant to be mm-hmm. in a good moment. And she teaches third grade. They're uh, they love each other. They're married. At least they faked it. <laughs> and um, they're gonna come to my show. They're gonna hit up uh, my publicist. Mm-hmm. Who's, I'd say his name, but he doesn't want to hear from anybody. <laughs> but but they're gonna contact him. The and, mob. And oh yeah, oh he's the best in the world. <laughs> Don't give his email out. No. I hate that when people yell my name across a crowded room and it's my email. <laughs> That's like the worst thing you can do to somebody. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, they were lovely. Mm-hmm. I, That's my contact with other people because normally it's like, take a selfie with me. I go, right. you're getting open heart surgery. Can you wait? <laughs> you know, just finish your surgery. But it's a, it's a, it's a good, really good time for me um, to be promoting something that I think I'm hoping and trusting that it's entertaining for people. And that it has a couple things that dig in, and then some other things that are just silly. Well, you're an entertaining guy, so I, I want to be. And uh, I just directed this movie that comes out, I think, in May. I'm not sure when. It's called Benjamin, and I'm in it with some incredibly talented people: Rob Corddry and Kevin Pollock and and Mary Lynn Rice Cub. She plays my girlfriend, who we think my 15 year old boy, played by Max Burkholder, is on crystal meth. Ooh. So she posts on Facebook an mm-hmm. intervention, and that's not where you post an intervention. <laughs> no. And Rob Cordry is the family gynecologist who leads the intervention. Oh. So that's not a good idea. No, he doesn't and, seem like the And sort. it's got Sherry O'Terry and Dave Foley and a lot of people Very you nice. like. And uh, Clara, I do like Clara Mamet. Yeah, I know. He's <laughs> so talented. He's, uh, they all are. Sherry's hilarious in it. It's, it's just something I'm uh, – proud of and i've been working really hard on that so when i finished working on the mm-hmm. special now i'm now i'm doing the promotion which will be a couple weeks of that and longer because these things do have a life especially when it's on every medium in the <laughs> world um and then i will uh get to work on finish right now i'm finishing benjamin doing mm-hmm. the color correction and mixing i know your audiences are very into that especially if you make it a kickstarter yeah, couldn't do that. <laughs> or Indiegogo. Just do a Kickstarter. And I went, <laughs> to pay for the color correction. I am perceived. It seems like that's what most of the crowdfunding is for color correction. But I, that's right. But I would have. <laughs> We've done the movie, but we us. need to pay for the post-production. There's no color. <laughs> um, but we, you know, I went about it in a way where I, I'm perceived as a guy that has some cash. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking people for money. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, and some people said, just do a Kickstarter. I went, mm-hmm. I can't do that. You want to make it? You can do it. Go with God. Make it without me. But 
I can't do that to people and ask them for money. Although I'm going to ask them to pay to see it. Right. But um, that's what you pay for entertainment. Right. And it's it's not the cost of a stand-up ticket. It's the cost of... And it's it's a really interesting movie. It's a dark comedy, so I'm proud of it. Seems right up your alley. Yeah, it's. I was bowling, so when I shot it, I did So um, before I let you go, so it's 2017, which is 30 years from when Full House hit. Yeah. But like I mentioned earlier, that year started with you on a CBS morning news show. Yeah, on the morning program. When you were doing that, they that, fired me. That whole well, that whole show failed. Yeah, it, I left after you, <laughs> five months, and it lasted four more months. So, but when you start the year doing that show, could you imagine any of this happening after that? I I thought, uh, as I always have thought, uh, that I don't think it anymore because the public has proven to me that that we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Even when I did the special, no no girlfriend, no children, none of my family, no friends. I don't want anybody there. I have my business friends, you know, my publicist, my manager, whoever is there. Um, and that's, it's it's an intimate thing, the comedian and the audience. And um, I felt secure in how they felt about me. I mean, they're chanting my name at the end of the show. Yeah. So that made me cry like a little little fruity pebbles. I just, Although I'm not familiar with people calling you Bobby. Bobby, because my mother called me Bobby. So they were uh, actually hitting me in my solar plexus sh- with what my deceased mother called me. The ghost, like, Bobby, of, the ghost of your mother. Bobby. They like, please don't. She used to wake me up like that. She'd be like, I, we lived in a very small house in Norfolk, Virginia, but we had a upstairs and a balcony. Mm-hmm. And she'd go, Bobby, wake up, Bobby. <laughs> it was like a ghost from Psycho. It was, it was like Anthony Perkins' mom calling him. And uh, I miss her a lot. And uh, so it, it's a cathartic thing. I know that she would be very happy about a lot of things. One is uh, my fiance, my betrothed, and um, and my kids and the show. You know, I, I tend to put people ahead of show business, uh, but not if it's going to help show business. You know, I don't mind uh, plugging that I'm you know I'm engaged if it helps sell the special. That's the kind of guy I am. I, I care about. You know, the show first, mm-hmm. and then whatever else follows, if that's part of your life, that's fine. You know. <laughs> Who else have you had in here recently that you enjoyed? Uh, most recently, I had Judah Friedlander in here. I like him the so much. The world champion. He is the world champion of? Yes. What is he the world champion Everything, of? I think. Oh, that's his name. Yeah. He just goes by that. He's the world champion. It looks like it. <laughs> it looks like he could win everything. I thought he did some Guinness thing, like... Remember when it was that uh, Dane Cook and who else was he competing oh, with? Oh, Dave Chappelle. Oh, who could be on stage the longest? That was, yeah, back in the day at the Laugh Factory, they were doing eight-hour sets. Right. I would think Chappelle won that. Did he? He did. Yeah, because he he really can do it. Um, and so can Dane. And Dane would be probably a little more competitive, but all comedians are competitive. But Dave would do it. So for a couple hours, it just means a great deal to him what he's talking about. He's not really performing. He's, you don't feel competitive now, though, do you? I don't feel competitive with anybody but myself. I want I want my bar to get better because mm-hmm. the bar I go to sucks. They don't put anything in their drinks. But I, I really – this special gave me – as after I wrote the book, it changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just transitioning right now. But, um, yeah, I know. It's not helpful. It's not topical, helpful. though. It's so topical. But 
um, and relevant to my special. But uh, but let's not bring that up. No, but I, I really you do it, in your sixties. You might as well wait until in my sixties. I'm going to spend. I am going to do probably do another one because there is something you get out of stand up. Mm-hmm. And if I have a new hour, I might as well do it. Yeah, um, because I love it. And I also want to direct some really good movies, which is really hard to do. And to do that, you need a budget, which I haven't really had one for a while. So it'll be really nice. We are, I'm very fortunate that I got to make this movie and that it was such a good script. And uh, it's just a really – it was shot for nothing almost. I mean it wasn't Kickstarter, but they had we had a very low budget. Same producer, Jeff Sack – exec producer uh, who did – Jeff Sackman did my Penguin movie, my Stoner movie, Farce, Far- of, the Farce of the Penguins, and you probably helped me promote that. <laughs> and I, and he also did, uh, exec produced The Aristocrats. So ah. his affinity for comedy and for mm-hmm. me is uh, appreciated. So he's been a, a real big supporter. And people that haven't been supporters, you know who they are. Well, I enjoyed <laughs> Zero to Sixty, and I look forward to seeing Benjamin. Thank you. Coming to a platform near you in 2018. Oh, it's going to be in some theaters and then platform it out. (laughs) We're going to show it at like platforms like train subways. Mm -hmm. Right at the, I'm going to have to sit there with a monitor. Well, thanks for joining me on this platform. It's good to see you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. I'm going to miss you now. (laughs) Oh, you can listen to this anytime. I'm going to. I'm going to listen to it over and over. But I talk so much. I'm going to miss you more. Oh, well, listen to the other episodes then. I will do that. I will do that. Awesome. Thanks. I'll listen to Judah Friedland. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.